Hi, welcome back to Reader Radio. My name is Chris Bowling. In today's episode, I sat down with Marissa Hatab, Douglas County's first ever officer of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right off the bat, we hit it off. Uh, we're actually from the same area of Southwest Ohio, and it's always a breath of fresh air when you're meeting one of your own kind out here in Nebraska. But I was also really curious to see how she was going to approach this position. There's been a premium placed on equity, whether that's in governments, nonprofits, companies, you know, wherever. But I think it's right for people to ask, how is that commitment going to actually return real solutions? Because she's the county's first ever DEI officer, Marissa has a lot of opportunities in front of her. But there's also a lot of unknown. What should the position be? Is she going to push the boundaries or is she going to focus on their current systems and making those equitable? Thankfully, our conversation is a lot more personal than all that. And yet we still get at a lot of those questions. But without further ado, I hope you find this interview as enlightening as I did. Stay tuned. All right. Well, we are sitting here with Marissa Hatab, uh, the new Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Director for Douglas County. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, doing all right on this nice Tuesday. <laughs> yes, and it is nice. Outside, okay, actually. cool. And we were actually just talking about before we got started, but there's actually a weird connection between us that you're from Troy, Ohio, mm-hmm. where I used to play the marching euphonium for the Lakota East Thunderhawk marching band once yeah. upon a time. <laughs> Very interesting. So, I mean, I guess maybe a good question just to start off with. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, yourself, your background, like how did you go from Troy, Ohio to Omaha, Nebraska, like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's so crazy. Westchester (laughs) where you're from. I still have so many friends that live there in that area. Um, But anyways, your question was, how did I wind up in Omaha, Nebraska? So um, I was born and raised in Troy after I graduated in 2007. Um, I took a break, but then I ended up going back to college um, at Wright State University um, some years later while I was a single mom. And um, while I was at Wright State University, I actually met my husband and he was active duty Air Force. And so he got orders here. So that's what brought us here. Originally, I was like, oh, my goodness, Nebraska, <laughs> where is it out on the map? Yeah, yeah. And... I definitely thought the same thing. <laughs> Everybody I talked to was like. They either were like, where is that? Or like, are you going to be like wearing like, you know, snow boots in a parka the entire right. time? Or they would just say something about like, you know, the Cornhuskers. And that was basically it. Right. <laughs> well, I was, I didn't even follow football. My husband, of course, he knew all about Cornhuskers. I did not know mm-hmm. about them. I was just concerned about my hair. I'm like, is there going to be someone there who can do my hair, Sammy? <laughs> yeah, and right. so um, I researched Bellevue because mm-hmm. that's where our orders were. And I saw that it was super close to Omaha. And so um, we moved here in 2016 and um, my degrees in education. So shortly after we moved here, moved here, I actually got pregnant with my now five-year-old. And so I took a break and, um, eventually found work at the Omaha street school after I had my daughter and I was there for, um, some time. And then my, um, I ended up leaving the teaching profession and going to nonprofit. And so I've been, um, I was at mentor Nebraska nonprofit here for a little, well, three years to the day that I started Mm -hmm. (laughs) this new job. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I really enjoyed my time at mentor Nebraska. I learned a lot I was able to do a lot of work in the realm of DEI. I did a lot of work. I mean, when I look at the span of from when I was in high school all the way to where I am now, DEI has been a centerpiece of who I am even before DEI was coined diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know? So, I mean, you've been to Troy, so I'm sure you know that Troy is a predominantly white community. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I found myself leading a black history month committee when I first started, it was just me. Mm, (laughs) Um, but I mean, that was really awesome. And when I look at some of the work I did in college, um, it was creating a, a diversity, equity, inclusion um, committee in the um, the College of Education because it was not diverse. Mm. And so we had a lot of teachers who were afraid to go to the quote-unquote hood is what they would say. They had their parents calling, asking for them not to get placed there. Like, I'm for real. So, wait, wait, what do you mean, like, asking for them to not get, like, placed where? Like, in the... In the inner city of Dayton. Like... So, they didn't want to get in any urban schools. So their parents would literally call if their if their 
kids who were in their 20s had got a teacher placement. You know, there's internships and job oh. shadowing things you have to do. They would call and ask for them not to be assigned there. Mm. And so that that impacted, of course, them going to teach but also it impacted how they relate it to us so that's what led to me creating an initiative there um, that was with students faculty and even the dean of college to um, do some training around DEI so that they were better equipped and at this point you're you're a single mom right yeah and and you're going to school yes and you're having to take on like this extra i mean like what did that involve like um oh my goodness yeah i don't mind sharing so long story short it was my senior year so i also was planning a wedding i got married three weeks after i graduated so i was crazy but (laughs) um my last semester i had a class and for the first time in all four years i was in college there were four black women like in one class and we found ourselves sitting next to each other. And I remember we were sitting there and um, we were very aware of the fact that we were all sitting next to each other. And we're like, y'all like we're the black table. That's what Mm -hmm. we said. And I'm like, y'all, I literally said this, look at all the other tables. They're all the white tables, like everybody. So we're doing what everyone naturally does. And we're just aware of it because we're always the only ones in our classes. And so long story short, we ended up sharing stories when we were doing a project. People were like, people in my group, they were crying, um, just sharing stories about how they had been ignored, dismissed, um, disrespected by our peers. And that wasn't even including some of the experiences with professors. And so if, if anyone knows me, like I can't sit and hear all these collective stories and seeing tears and seeing the impact of lack of exposure to different people. Cause that's what it was. And I'm like, Nope, I'm going to Dina college. I'm talking to some professors and, and luckily we had some professors who partnered with, you know, what I was trying to do. And we were able to get grant funding and, and for two years, even after I graduated, it continued. I don't know. It could still be going on. Um, but I kept t- in touch with the professors for two years, but, um, yeah, that's wow. kind of what happened in yeah, college. That's, that's crazy. Um, I mean, like what was the impact of it? I mean, yeah. just, just like raised aware or did you guys ever see any like, yeah. yeah. So, so even still, like I have, um, you know, for the good old world of Facebook, um, I can still keep in touch with people. I've had people who I don't even know, like, I don't remember who have individually reached out to me and shared about, a panel discussion I was a part of, or I was just there facilitating conversation, or or even when I wasn't there, they knew that I helped start it. And so I know that specific individual impact because people reached out, but I can share with you, um, as far as the specific like committee I came up with, I don't know if that's still going on, but I know that DEI initiatives are still going because last year, you know, after all the social injustice and unrest, I actually had one of the professors reach out and ask me if I would like to join um, this advisory like committee um, all around racial equity there. And so um, she was sharing with me some of the continued, you know, work that's happened. So it, it had kind of like a ripple effect into oh, other yeah. areas. So Yeah, well, and I feel like, I mean, kind of like you said, like that language wasn't even there back in the day. And like yeah. speaking as someone who grew up in a, a similar area, like that area very very white you know and it's it's the suburbs mm-hmm, kind of it's mm-hmm. out there it's not really and so uh, well and i was kind of wondering like comparing like what you were used to um there and then what your reaction was moving here because i remember my reaction and you know like once again where i grew up was not the most diverse area in the world but i was immediately struck by how less diverse nebraska mm-hmm. is than mm-hmm. there and maybe i mean I don't know. Maybe that's because I was getting into college and I was like mm-hmm. thinking about those things more. But I was curious for you, like, mm-hmm. what was it like um, kind of having that mindset? And then, you know, obviously you're moving here. You're you were um, now you weren't immediately looking for work. Right. You were um, you kind of went back into like mom mode and then, <laughs> and then later. But I mean, I'm sure it had to have been on your mind. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Although growing up in Troy, I didn't have a say-so as far as where I was raised and who I could build community with. When I graduated, I did have a say-so. And so I was very intentional after graduating once I began to unpack kind of the effects of being the only minority in a lot of spaces, like how it affected my identity. So I was really intentional about building community that was full of diversity. And so when we moved here... um, 
it was on my mind. And although I didn't go right into the workforce, I was intentional. Like we were a military family. We had no family, anything. So community was important. We're like, we got to find our people. Like who are we going to do life with? Yeah. And so, um, when we first moved here, when we went through orientation, um, I knew where the black people were by the orientation because they told us not to go to North Omaha. Really? We were literally told that if we wanted to move to North Omaha, now they didn't say that's where, you know, the black people live, but they were like, that's where crime and, and all, you know, you can't walk by yourself there. And if you want to live there, we would have to get permission. Yeah, it was crazy. So I'm like, serious? I looked at my husband. Yeah, I'm not. Wait, this, then you guys moved here in 2016? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we've only been here six years. So I looked at my husband and um, I was like, well, I know where our my people are. Oh, my god! And gosh. so, um, yeah, but we just drove one day. Like, literally, we just kind of drove through the city because we didn't know anything. And it was so obviously segregated, mm-hmm. like, obviously where we're at right now. We're like, well, looking at billboards and the restaurants and things like that, we can tell where we are. And then we just happened, we were invited to go to a church in West Omaha. Mm. I mean, I knew what West Omaha was because I was the only one. I was like, even the church we went to, I think um, my husband's white and Middle Eastern. And so I think we and maybe one or two other people were the only minorities in the church. I'm like, okay, I know where we are. And um, and then you don't hear about East Omaha. It's just kind of like West, North, and South. That's you talk about. But right. it was like no one had to tell us the rules. Just driving through the city, to your point, you could tell. Kind of curious, like, how did that make you feel, like, moving here? Like, from them telling you specifically not to move somewhere to seeing that sort of visually? I mean, was it just kind of like, oh, well, that's how the world is? Or was it more like, oh, my gosh, this place is kind of different? Well, being a minority and where I was a lot of times the only person of color in my classes, sports and all the things, my per I'm I was keenly aware of the fact that Dayton was segregated. I was keenly aware of, you know, the fact that Cincinnati it's always something I'm aware of. So to me it was kinda like, Well, here we go again. You mm, know, it yeah. wasn't something that defeated me, but it did make me want to lean in with more curiosity when people were when we were hearing um uh folks othering Omaha or othering like the education system. Like I was an educator and I met with someone who is like a liaison on base and she was like, you don't want to teach in OPS. You want to teach in like a, you know, Papillion or Millard or Uh so I'm like, this is my first time even hearing that a Papillion is a thing or a Millard, but it was like, don't go there. And so for me, it made me lean in. It made me want to say, no, I want to look into OPS. Uh No, I want to look to see like, these communities that exist. And so my husband and I were just super intentional about wanting to build community and relationships with people from the marginalized communities that were just screaming at us. Yeah. Well, like what, what did that look like? Um, that meant looking, um, when we're looking for places to eat, you know, when we were looking, I shared that, you know, we went to church. So we were like, let's find a diverse church. And that was kind of hard at first, but then by building relationships with other people, we were able to find, um, a church that was very diverse. And, and then, you know, from there you learn about other places that you can visit and it just based on us becoming proximate and intentionally proximate, we were able to then begin to see um, Omaha from a different perspective from many different angles. And, but it was really when I started working for mentor Nebraska, because when I taught at the school, it was just in one building. It wasn't community, you know, focused. But when I started working at mentor Nebraska, my job was very external, meaning I was having to meet with all types of community partners. And, and so that's when, it blew up for us even more and we moved here. So we were living in Bellevue, but now we've lived in the city. So Mm -hmm. that helped too. Yeah. Um, real quick. So with the street team, can you just like, what were you doing for them? So the Omaha street school is, um, it's an alternative high school here. And so, um, it's also ironically a nonprofit. And so it's actually in North Omaha, but it's for, um, students, just non-traditional students. So some of the students had high anxiety. And so being in large high schools overwhelmed them. So then they would be like flagged for truancy. Um, some of them, um, had to work, 
you know, to take care of their siblings or whatever. So traditional school settings didn't work for them. And some of them, yeah, there were behaviors too. There were so many different um, ways that students, you know, were kind of referred to go to the street school. But um, yeah, so I taught there. I was an educator and um, it was just for juniors and seniors. The classroom sizes are only about seven to 10 students and maybe a little bit bigger now, but um, it's intentionally an intimate setting so that, um, at the time we could really support, you know, them how they needed to be supported to get them caught up. Yeah. So. What, what sort of stuff did you teach? Oh, sure. I, I taught, or... <laughs> I taught language arts. Mm. Um, so when I was in, you know, Ohio, my degree was in education and I was, um, the two specific focuses were language arts and social studies. So I did like creative writing and, um, you know, history courses. And I think I even did like, uh, integration with music and language arts and so that was really cool so you have like a language arts teacher vibe like do you, i yeah i mean you're wearing the cardigan like you just like it's a great thing i mean i'm obviously a journalist so i i enjoyed english and language arts so like it's okay. all love but like at the same time i mean you know you right <laughs> i got the teacher vibe okay i mean hey i said language arts teacher vibe. you're definitely not giving me science teacher you're not giving me math teacher so anyway well, yeah those anyway. are the bottom of my well part. yeah, yeah i mean sure. you know once again there's a reason that i'm in journalism it's uh experiences <laughs> with uh teachers and anyway whatever right, <laughs> right. beyond my childhood traumas but <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, what else was I going to ask you? Yeah, I mean, I guess that must have, that probably was like a pretty interesting experience, like another lens to see through. I mean, because, I mean, once again, there's stories that we've been kind of working on here, and Bridget is actually um, who you met uh, mm -hmm. in the other room, um, who uh, is working on stories about education, and, mm. and I'm working on stories about, you know, kind of development patterns, and that sort of stuff, and the things you're kind of talking about, I mean, they obviously are very much, they're not just coincidental, you know, why they happen. There's these reasons. And so I can imagine that being in there and saying kind of, kind of working with students like that, you know, firsthand and, you know, mm -hmm. especially when you talk about the kind of the truancy stuff, because mm -hmm. I know that there are kind of, um, there's issues around like that in terms of like, oh, well, who's getting help when they're habitually absent and who's, just kind of referred away to, you know, wherever. And so, sorry, I'm kind of like rambling, but no, I just, you're it, fine. It, I'm sounds, it sounds uh, like that would be a really interesting vantage point into yeah. kind of some of these issues you'd be looking at later. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it really set me up. Um, it, it gave me a really, how would I explain it? It gave me a firsthand perspective as far as, um, then shifting into the role of nonprofits and for Mentor Nebraska. When I was originally hired for Mentor Nebraska, um, I was focusing on a new mentoring practice called Youth Initiated Mentoring, which focused on empowering youth to choose their mentors rather than it be with strangers. And so a lot of our youth were through diversion, the Juvenile Assessment Center, which now um, I interact with in my role at Douglas County. Um, and then also like probation or or youth who, and, and most of the students on diversion, it was for truancy. So I'm like, here we are, like, here's these common threads. And so I was able to find um, the greatest success, not just in the role, but throughout the nation now where I'm considered an expert when it comes to youth initiated uh, mentoring, because I had that perspective as far as firsthand understanding of what were, it's not like they just don't want to go to school. There's reasons why they're not coming. And sometimes there's not enough investigation and building trust with families to understand why aren't they going to school. So then that's what was able to help me to really um, flourish at Mentor Nebraska in my lens and how I, I saw youth. Because a lot of times youth are spoken of from a deficit position. And when you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, Sometimes people look at DEI like, oh, they're just coming here because she's a minority, so she wants more minorities represented, or they're always trying to make it a race thing. Like, there's all these, like, deficit-based perspectives around DEI. So um, I feel like being at Mentor Nebraska um, really helped prepare me even to combat some of those things. Yeah. When you say like deficit based, are you talking to like explain that? Oh, sure. So I'd say a deficit, I'll give you an example when it comes to youth. So 
a deficit narrative that a lot of mentoring programs used to speak about as far as why someone should become a mentor is because these are at-risk troubled youth. And so that deficit language, meaning looking at the bad in a youth rather than looking at um, the good in them and, oh, maybe they're like um, something that's asset-based is like, oh, they have resiliency. They've gone through a lot of things in their life and that's impacting you know, why they may be a part of the juvenile justice system or even the term at risk. At risk of what? Like if you go to a wealthier school, you could say those youth are at risk for higher suicide rates like or drug addiction or we could go on and on. And so but there's a stigma, this negative stigma associated with at risk. It's like, oh, a juvenile justice system or or criminals. Mm -hmm. And so. There's deficit language even associated with diversity, equity, inclusion, where some people think of it as like from a position of a threat, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's kind of what I was getting at. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like people, like when you say like people are like, oh, well, it's going to make it harder to like, I'm just as good, if not better as a white person, but it's going to make it harder for me to, is that what you mean when you talk about like how like how it impacts it DEI. sure i'll give you an example okay. kind of what you're see the teacher in me yes yeah um <laughs> so i know personally people who have who are brilliant like they're brilliant and they're people of color and when they go to a university let's just say instead of me calling out someone specifically a harvard or something mm -hmm. and they get there they have had white peers say oh the only reason why you're here is because you're black right right instead of it being like oh you're here because you're worthy you're brilliant you you know you you deserve to be here just as much as me they other them from this deficit perspective as maybe you're only here so that you can fill the diversity quota so while you were at mentor in nebraska basically that whole time you were focusing on like youth empowerment and that sort of stuff or like what other sort of things did you get sure. into sure yeah definitely youth empowerment um but also over time, I was there for almost three years. So my role expanded mm -hmm. and um, now we're able to, they're able to launch a mentor, a uh, youth initiated mentoring program. And I'm able to lead like the community of practice and, and help people throughout the nation, to be honest, and even someone in Canada. So oh, there's really? that. <laughs> yep. And so um, what I, how my, how my position grew is I ended up um, taking over the training aspect of the work. So mm -hmm. when I took over the training, that's when I was able to really start focusing in on um, equipping our men the mentoring professionals with um, DEI specific training content. And so a lot of times in the realm of mentoring, not just in Omaha, but throughout the country, mentors are part of a national affiliation. Mm -hmm. So I was also building relationships across the nation and collectively, the majority of mentors who are coming to formal, meaning like a built-in mentoring program that doesn't mm -hmm. happen naturally, are primarily white people, and they're mentoring youth of color. And so, Mentor Nebraska, we don't. They didn't do direct service. They did. Um, they were a backbone agency, meaning they were there to support the direct service mentoring program. So mm -hmm. I was able to equip them with how to then equip their mentors with how to show up from a place of partnership and being a support rather than being a savior wanting to fix the youth. Yeah. And and these uh, programs you're supporting, I mean, is this like the thing that people might think of like Big, Big Brothers or, right. what, like, or, or all these yeah. like different, or like, I mean, like, is this in like schools or is like yeah. after school YMC? I mean, like what's yeah. like the, the, the scope of, Oh yeah. It, it, it ranges. Some of them are school-based. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are community-based. Some of them are a, a mixture, a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. And then mentoring has expanded. And so now we have young professionals um, in their workplaces saying, Hey, I really want to be mentored so I can grow into higher levels of influence in my, you know, job or, or peer to peer mentoring or, even in colleges, we're having more folks wanting to be wow. mentored there. So it's really expanded. But um, so it's community-based or school-based. Yeah. And um, we were there, you know, 
Mentor Nebraska still exists to support those direct service mentoring mm-hmm. programs throughout w- the state. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was, I was going to ask, were you primary, you were focused on the entire state or like mostly Omaha or like what? So when I joined, um, they had literally just launched, um, that they were now going to be statewide. Originally they were just focused on the Omaha Metro area, mm-hmm. but throughout the three years we've expanded, you know, to Grand Island and, um, of course, Lincoln and, and Columbus and North Platte. So literally all throughout the, the state. And so, yeah, we're Mentor Nebraska is there to support them. So our tra- my training content was to support those direct service mentoring programs so that then they would be equipped to have, you know, conversations or to their interviewing processes of mentors or even just how they support the matches from a place of equity and inclusivity and of course diversity so mm-hmm. yeah so i got a lot of experience in Interesting. that role yeah. yeah and then so then how how did you happen on the douglas county job yeah. <laughs> right so i saw i i truly don't even remember where i saw the job posting and i looked at it i glanced i didn't even thoroughly look through i glanced at it i'm like well that's that's cool you know but i love where i'm at yeah and so i just and, I, and actually do. really quick um can you just like for like a chronology so you guys move here in 2016 um when did you start working at street school when did you start working at um uh, uh mentor nebraska oh yeah so moved here 2016 had my daughter 2016 the end of 2016. So then I stayed home with her for, I think nine months. So I started at the street school, maybe 2017. And then I left, um, January of 2019. So I taught at the street school for a year and a half. And then I was with mentor Nebraska for three years to the day that I started for the county. So that was kind of the timeline. Okay. Gotcha. That, yeah, my work experience here. Yeah. And anyway, okay, sorry. I just wanted to get the chronology in my yeah, head. So sure. back to, you know, how you found it and like uh, all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. So I just, I really loved where I was at. And so um, I I just kept it moving. And I had a friend like a week later, like, hey, did you see that DEI, um, that DEI officer for the county? And I'm like, actually, I did. She was like, I think you should apply. Now, mind you, she's the same friend that told me to apply for Mentor Nebraska. (laughs) So I'm like, why are you always trying to have me (laughs) leave these jobs? (laughs) So I couldn't shake it, though. After she kind of planted that seed in my mind, I couldn't shake it. And so um, I just was like, all right, I'll just go for it. Like, I have nothing to lose. I love where I'm at. And so I applied. And um, long story short, I ended up getting called for an interview and and then they offered me the job. <laughs> so then I was, you know, having to, all right, like they offered it. What am I going to do now? And yeah. so I really, one of the things that really excited me about the role, like when I was interviewing, they were interviewing me, but I was also interviewing them. I loved where I was genuinely. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that really excited me is um, I interviewed with four folks and one of them said that we're looking for someone who can pioneer this work. And when they said like, pioneer like that just jumped out on me i'm mm-hmm. like oh that's like a challenge that's like you've got to ha- be a, a a self-starter um have vision but also the execution of the vision and so it, it kind of like excited me and so when i looked at it through that lens of like how is him how am i going to grow as a person i felt like this was the best move for me you know to challenge me and help me grow as well as obviously helping Douglas yeah County. and I, and I actually was gonna ask um you know you know I, like even applying for it like I have to imagine that having all this time spent you know um, working in these other roles and then thinking like oh well I could work inside of like an actual government entity and like obviously there's a lot you can do there um but yeah, I just, I feel like I've seen people kind of take different approaches and, you know, whether they want to be like really sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of the right words for it. It's like proactive, I guess, about things like push things or try to, you know, look at existing practices and be like, okay, well, let's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but like having spent so much time in the area and working in these areas, I, I wondered like, you know, what sort of ideas were you really bringing to the table and when they said like we need someone to pioneer this and you're like oh well if they're gonna let me off the leash then like here's here's (laughs) one two three and four of like so i long story (laughs) short i'm wondering like what were some of the big ideas that you brought in 
Oh my goodness. I think something that I would say government agencies collectively, I, I think from the lens of my husband's experience when he was active duty in the air force and, and how they kind of operate it as an ecosystem. Um, it's not necessarily always people focused. A lot of times it's like, this is how we're going to do things. These are the policies, procedures that are in place. And so we've done it like this and we're going to keep doing it like this. And so I feel like that was some of my perspective coming in, um, not knowing that much about county. I'm coming from nonprofit, you know? And so I'm having, to be honest, it's a learning curve. I'm having to learn about the entire ecosystem of a county government, which there's 15 departments and eight different elected officials. Yeah. And so that that's a, a, a very big ecosystem, right? And so um, one of the things that I said during my interview and one of the things that you'll continue to hear me say is I don't believe in making decisions about people about systems about um departments without including the voices and perspectives of those that the action plan could directly impact so i came in as a learner as a listener as an observer i still am to really understand okay what's going on in these departments what are their experiences from entry level all the way to department heads so that i can get a clear perspective of what's really going on and where should we really start diversity equity, inclusion, it's vast. It impacts so many things. So I don't want to just come in and go, we're doing this, 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 and that. Because right. it might not actually be the solutions in which they need if I don't really know what's going on. So my my perspective right now is going in look, and just being an observer. Now, specific things that I think um, I'm wanting to address um, I feel like I've got to build stronger community partners with different entities throughout Douglas County. I feel that we have to build trust and we have to um, have more visibility because recruitment is something that's really big in retaining employees and then also succession planning. How can we ensure that they stay and then grow up um, in the ranks from a perspective of diversity and equity and inclusivity? But a lot of folks in the community don't know about the roles and um, and the jobs that and, and that they exist. So how are we going to recruit them if they don't even know that it, it's a thing? Yeah. And so I feel like um, I've got to build trust and have more visibility in the community. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, just workplace culture, like cultivating inclusivity there. And the equity piece is going to show up when it comes to how are we allocating funds? How are we, um, what the policies that are in place and union laws and, you know, all of those things. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my perspective. Yeah, I got you. I mean, one thing I'd like to pick out from that is, you know, you talk about building stronger relationships with the community and, you know, I guess maybe, I don't know if this is like playing devil's advocate, but like you hear that all the time from, you know, people who are elected officials or in government, like mm. we have the best community relationships, Omaha police department, best community <laughs> relationships, you know, ever, you know, Douglas County, I've heard it like, Oh, we have great community relationships. Well, blah, 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 this and that. So I guess like, I mean, once again, maybe you still need to kind of do that research and see, but I mean, you know, you've been in that, in that, that environment of like, you're doing the grassroots work, you're doing the work in the community. So like, what do you think we're missing that we need to, um, you know, do more of? Representation. You know, you can be, I talk to people when I've done different trainings, I'm like, you can be proximate, but if you're not intentionally and humbly proximate, then you can miss what's really going on in the room. So you can go, like, for example, um, growing up, we would go on missions trips and we would go to places in the United States. So it wasn't like we were just going out of country, but we would come from a perspective of we're going in here to fix something that's broken. And so we wouldn't go in there. I'm talking about Marissa. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't right. go in there to be like, I want to sit down and just get to know them. Like, Maybe it's not actually broken and maybe the solutions I'm trying to bring actually cause more freaking issues for them and it's not helpful. And so that's why I talk about like the importance of being proximate and being proximate with humility. And so I feel like we have a responsibility to build relationships from the point of 
hey, I just want to learn. I want to be a support. You're an expert in this particular area. We can learn from you and then utilize that to help impact and influence what we're doing. And I would say based on looking at the overall body um, of Douglas County, that diversity is a big issue. And so if diversity is a big issue, that means representation is a big issue. And if representation is a big issue, that means that we've got to build legitimate relationships with our community so that we can draw in folks and retain them. (laughs) So yeah, you're right. That's kind of like a politically correct. Oh, everything's hunky dory. But when you get to the nitty gritty and you look at who's really making a system and showing up, then you'll really be able to tell if everyone's got great relationships with the community because then their body would look like their community. No, yeah, I mean, I guess just like a comment to round that off is that, you know, it's it's interesting because, yeah, people say that all the time and there are like legitimate examples, but then you talk with people and they're like, yeah, but just because they talk to that person or this organization doesn't mean that they are connected with the community. They're not listening to me. And But then it's, then always the problem becomes is like, well, how do you ensure that voices are all legitimately heard and then it's like well you know voting but then it's like there's a lot of people that have not felt so there's kind of there's lots of issues rolling the one and you know i guess that might be a good way to lead into my next question is like how you see your kind of role working on like a day-by-day basis like do you see yourself as someone who is really pushing for kind of to my original thing like you know different programs that can accomplish these things or do you see it as like I can be the facilitator and then we can let the people that get brought in, you know, like if, if people from, you know, East Omaha, maybe they're, if we're saying like, that's the area that might not be as, you know, traditionally heard and represented. If we get them to a point where they're more represented, then they can make decisions. Does that make sense? Like basically do you see yourself as like pushing programming or bringing in people so that they can decide what they want to do for themselves? That's a great question. I actually asked that question in my interview. <laughs> I'm like, am I the practitioner? Meaning, mm-hmm. am I the one doing, you know, all of the things? Am I a thought leader? Meaning, am I just helping to influence some of the things? Or am I like HR and risk management? Meaning, I'm looking at policies and procedures and from that standpoint. And um, the truth of the matter is, it's, it's going to be a bit of all of those things. But it's going to be like bit by bit i'm only one person right now and so i don't have a whole team of people who can help me and so it's also really important for me to to have champions i know that there are champions within douglas county right now that i just have not met who where dei is important to them like i know it and so it's about creating different opportunities to hear people's voices and so some of those things that I have been able to be a part of in my work around DEI with um, Mentor is we hosted a series of focus groups throughout the affiliate. So there's 26 states that have a mentor present. So throughout all those states, we hosted, um, we, we hired a consultant. So it wasn't just all of us doing the work. Yeah, right. But we were the ones that came up with like the focus group where you just create space where you have listening sessions. It's facilitated conversation, but it's more so listening sessions to hear what are people's experiences within their workplace. So I feel like that's one thing that can be done that I plan Mm -hmm. on doing in the County Mm -hmm. to help inform the action plan. Um, And then when it comes to the community, same, like it can be a similar, you know, perspective, but it's also really important about, what partnerships you're cultivating and then how you're facilitating conversations and building relationships. So there can be a series of town halls where you're just bringing people together and having a topic at hand and let's talk about it. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's just so many different ways where you can have narrative based data collecting. It doesn't have to be this formal, Oh, survey on a computer all the time. There's so many different means to, to gather, you know, perspectives and so um yeah those are some of the approaches to that kind of question and but as far as what am i going to do day to day it's ever it's ever evolving right now i can tell you what i'm doing every day is i'm meeting with tons of people i'm learning what's going on in their departments i'm learning about um what areas of strength do they see or and what are areas of weakness that they feel they need support in 
and then kind of seeing what are some common threads what am i hearing you know yeah. what am i seeing and and so that's what, what my what, day are, looks what like are now. you hearing and seeing right now um i'm common hearing threads <laughs> um well one thing i hear from everyone is that they under they really understand and recognize the importance of our recruitment needs to be stronger like it just does like there hasn't been significant uh, intention put there and so but for me it's like let's take that a step further so say we recruit all these people what type of environment are we welcoming welcoming them into where we can retain them mm-hmm. so it's like sometimes when you see the work of DEI officers um with in corporations or even counties even though I'm the first county representative Mm -hmm. in our in our state it's not like that everywhere else right sometimes folks want to go automatically and look out and say we need to build all these you know initiatives in our community that's important but it's both and it's not an either or if you're doing all this cultivating relationships and building trust but then when you're inviting them into a workplace that's not for them and it's not actually healthy for them how are you going to retain them they're going to dip Mm-hmm. So it's like it's kind of this balancing thing. Yeah. Where it's like building relationships, but ensuring that our workplace culture and our systems are equitable and inclusive and cultivate belonging so that they want to come and they want to stay and then they can thrive. Yeah, so for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how it'd be a little tricky because I mean, one thing that I would say, you know, to I guess once again play devil's advocate, um, <laughs> you know, when I think about yes. 2020 and like, I mean, just the level of like consciousness around these issues just went through the roof, it seems like to me at least. Um, and I think there's been a lot of fallout since then. I mean, I, I remember specifically the city council meeting after um, James Scurlock, you know, was killed downtown and, um, People uh, were saying there was one person in particular who was like, you know, we're here right now, like we're here talking to you. But what you have to do is you have to listen to us and we need to see something happen now. Like we're basically what she was saying is we're on our last straw. We want to have things be better, but it's a two way street. And I think there's been a lot of people who, you know, along the way have maybe, um, you know, just, okay, well all this bad stuff happened. They said they were listening and what's really changing in the day they want. I mean, people are literally like, we want to see, you know, whether it was give us 25% reduction in the police budget or uh, say that you're going to spend this money to build, you know, housing or eradicate home. Like people are like at this point where they want these like immediate solutions. Um, and it's tricky because you hear people are like, well, it's a marathon, not a run. And it's like, well, yeah, but you've been telling that to people for decades. I mean, once again, look, I'm, I'm 26. I'm also a white guy. So maybe I don't have the best perspective on it. But um, I don't know. I could just imagine that'd be a tricky position to be in because, once again, you're the first person in the position. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who would be like, wait, like, you're just listening? Like, I think you should be doing, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've had anyone say something like that or if that's something you've thought about, but, um, just given the climate we live in, I Mm -hmm. just, I thought it might be a thing that you've run up against. I haven't run up against it yet, Mm -hmm. but I can say the listening's not going to be like the only thing I'm also Mm -hmm. strategically aligning what I'm hearing to a plan Mm -hmm. because what has happened in so many situations, not just related to government, is like I said, people will go in and be like, okay, we're going to do, but the doing's not effective because there's nothing informing the doing from the people that it's impacting. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important for me to come in. Granted, this is day one of week three. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm really early. (laughs) Right. um, To like, what what is your perspective of what's going on? What do you think some of the issues are? And then... I'm taking that and I might be hearing other things from my perspective, you know, perspective of being the DEI expert, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. to say, okay, that's a good perspective, but we need to think about this. We Mm -hmm. also need to bring these things or we need these people to be represented so we can um, ensure all perspectives are taken into account when we're informing policies and procedures. And so I, I'm not about to just, 
come in doing because that can be really destructive right so yeah but i'm got i got plans i'm a doer <laughs> if you look at my top five my in like my uh <laughs> my strength finders mm-hmm. executing is three of them yeah in the top five so i'm <laughs> definitely a doer yeah but i'm having to remind myself you've got to slow down you can't just go in doing all this right because i want to make sure that it's effective and the reason why it's a marathon to be honest with you is there are so many statistics systemic things especially in county government that make it really hard to change things like Mm -hmm. we're talking about unions we're talking about laws we're talking about civil service commissions i just met with the sheriff department they've got merit commissions i didn't even know what a merit commission was a a, a merit commission that's what it's called i don't even know what that is (laughs) well i'm not gonna act like i'm an expert but (laughs) yeah but it's just laws it's literally laws that the sheriffs don't even own it comes from somewhere else Mm. that tells them how they have to hire who they can hire based on like scores and tests and and things like things like that that are written into law yeah so then when you're trying to come in and you're just oh we're gonna we're gonna just change these things it's like eh, there's a law that says you can't okay well we're gonna do this right <laughs> nice try there's now a law here like right. so there's so many like things i'm having to learn to see okay what can we really change right now mm-hmm. so that momentum is gained so that there's trust that's established. And so people don't think I'm just a picture on the wall. Like, right. okay. Mm-hmm. So it's just really complex. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, is there anything like that you've, um, as you've been like listening and doing these interviews, like things you've heard that's have like really per like surprised you either like positively or like negatively and been like, Oh, like, Either like, oh, I didn't realize this person, you know, really thought about things this way and that's going to be really helpful for me. Or like you found something out about how something works and you're like, oh my God, that is going to be a real challenge to address. I'm, Or just like anything that comes to your mind is like things that have, that have really stuck out to you um, as you've been doing all this. Um, so far what I'm hearing and what I've experienced... I haven't had any huge, like, wow. Yeah. You know, it's more so like, okay, I see why this is, you know, not as easy as someone would hope it would be. Yeah. Something that really has taken me aback, though, like, as far as what has affected me personally, like, within myself, I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's what you're going to get. Go for it. Um, I didn't realize when accepting the position um, how the public perception of the role, I guess you could say, because Mm -hmm. I didn't have a significant, I didn't have great trust in government, to be honest. And so there are things that I didn't even pay attention to when it came to to county government at at that. And so now that I'm in this role and having these conversations with different folks, like I realize people really are leaning in. Like I'm not trying to make myself a a bigger deal. I'm not trying to do that all, but like people are literally like leaning in like, what are you about to do? Right. And so for me being that doer, like to the core of who I am, I am a doer. And Mm -hmm. I I, like, there's this pressure, like, Oh my goodness. Like I need to do, I I need to do something and I want to make sure it's effective. And and just like, there's these unhidden, I mean, um, there's unspoken and hidden expectations that one's trying to manage. Mm -hmm. And then there's different, there's different, it's like a monopoly game. There's different players on the board and trying to figure out where the pieces go and, and how to build trust with these different entities. And so I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily fully aware of these unspoken of expectation, let alone how to manage them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it would like, if this goes in line with what you're talking about, but I did a story in 2020 about the uh, CARES Act funds and how, how the process of how those got allocated, how they got spent, who mm. was making the decisions. And it really opened my eyes to like, you know, oh my gosh, like the, it, it's, it's not like the biggest county government that you're going to find out there. Um, but it is, it is very complicated, like how things work and why things happen. And even, you know, it's like, I, you know, understanding like what is the county's responsibility versus the city's responsibility, right, and how right. the county and the city need to work, how they work together, you know, I could imagine you're learning about ways they work well together, ways they don't work well together, ways that it's hard for them to even work together. I mean, it's, 
it's it's yeah it's very interesting i mean i yeah it'd be really interesting to be a fly on the wall like in your conversations to like learn more about that because it's yeah i don't know i don't want to go too into like the that whole story but it's it's very is very fascinating Mm -hmm. it's very fascinating i don't know is there anything that i haven't asked you about that you think would be like really good for us to talk about i mean i feel like you've asked me such a a wide range of questions from <laughs> yeah. where I'm from to what led me here to mm-hmm. playing the devil's advocate, which you played well, just saying. Sure. And, um, I feel like we've covered so much. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any lingering thoughts that I feel like you haven't hit on. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, is there anything that, um, you know, if people listening to this, like want to get in touch with you, give you feedback, say, Hey, you need to listen to us about this. I mean, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find you? Oh sure, I'm I'm accessible. If you're interested in in talking or chatting, I'm I'm willing to come and hear you. Um, my email is marissa dot at Douglas County um, slash any dot gov. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's how you can find me, and gotcha. everything's public information. So there's other ways you can find me too. <laughs> yeah. But I'm open. I'm willing to hear um folks' perspectives. Um, just as long as they're built on mutual respect and we'll be good to go okay cool well thank you so much for coming down today i really appreciate you talking to us and it was a really interesting conversation it was my pleasure thank awesome. you thank ohio you. in the house yes what? there we go the 513 <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of reader radio my name is chris bowling this episode was produced by me with music by John Ricks. You can find him at p0h underscore k.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Marissa for sitting down with me and for shooting the shit about uh, Southwest Ohio, Troy, Westchester, Dayton, all that good stuff. It was really a pleasure. And then also, you know, getting into so many deep questions about, you know, DEI and the state of Douglas County government, all that sort of good stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more Reader Radio soon.